Welcome back to Ghostly Talk. This is Scott L. This is Amber. Happy, <laughs> should we say that? Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Happy Christmas. Happy Kwanzaa. Uh, happy everything. Happy as it can be, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Just be positive. We're almost, we're getting through it. We're, we're get, almost we're, over we're, we're getting through with, it. With the year. Watch and, uh, me. We need to get through with this. I, I know, like, we have uh, on today's show, we have Mark Onspa on. Who's uh, just. Who's the resident bard. Well, no, bard's Up same. there with someone. He's, I, our, I, he's a resident author. Yeah, but I can, I can writer, say, too. Storyteller. And, I, and I'm talking about the old archives, too. This is probably one of my favorite people I've ever talked to in my, what I would refer very loosely to as my radio and or podcast career. It's. I, I can't really say enough nice things about Mark. He's so good to us. And what he comes to this show with really just kind of blows me away. Yeah, he always finds something cool. He writes a story specifically for the show. Yeah, and it just it's um, and it's not just like, you know, it's not like some two pager. I mean, this is like no. a very, very very no. it's a lot of work. And and we do isolate the story. So if yeah, we're you gonna do that with the this show one, yeah. and you wanna go back and listen to the story again or share it with someone. Yeah, I'm gonna chop them up. There'll be a link on our site. It won't go out through the podcast apps, but you can go to our site, listen to the yeah, show directly. Yeah. And you can or, also go back. We'll link up his previous shows because you can, you know, with all of his other stories and everything. But we, when we do show notes, I always get an idea of what we might be talking about. And one of the things that uh, Mark was going to be speaking about was gruesome, creepy Christmas stuff in Iceland and those areas. So then it got me thinking, like, I got to look up. I want to look up some weird Christmas traditions around the world that people in the U.S. probably wouldn't be familiar with. And I found a couple things that I was really weirded out by. Okay. And you will never believe, Scott. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have you guess. Pardon my stiffling people, by the way. I'm kind of a, a little stiffly right now. I, I'm going to have you guess. Yeah. What do you think? Where do you think Japanese people go to eat I'm for Christmas? I'm not saying a word. You just say it. I don't do know. You, do you have any idea what kind of fast food place Japanese people flock to for Christmas. No. No idea. KFC. <laughs> and I had to look I had to look they're this up. That, they're eating that shit. I had to I, go I'm just I had, say it, sorry. I but. had to go beyond because I, I was like, okay, was this just like some kind of genetically modified chicken research? I looked this up and the history behind how this happened is kind of interesting. So about three point six million Japanese families have KFC for Christmas. I'm leaning back for this. So Ugh. the first ever KFC that goes in Japan in 1970, the, yeah. the manager yeah. of that store decides he's got an idea for something amazing that he's going to sell to the people of oh, Japan. God. And it's called the party barrel. I want a party barrel of chicken. <laughs> I want that. That was marketed directly to you. <laughs> in the he knew there was going to be a girl in the United States someday that would, that would love this party barrel. So I can just hear some crossover thrash band writing a song about that, too. Party barrel! Some fast. Naguar. Yep. It's a guar song. So, yeah, party. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Guar would be good. A tankard. Rest in peace, Dave. So, anyway, the idea then was to sell this on Christmas because... The chicken was a substitute for turkey. There was 
expats living in the country that missed having turkey for Christmas. So they figured, hey, let's, okay, you can do a Christmas chicken. I think I even read somewhere that Japanese ovens are way too small for the average turkey. So, like, it just isn't a thing. So, anyway, and it was also to fill a tradition void because only 1% of Japan is Christian. The rest is Shinto and Buddhist. So there's just this small little niche and no traditions really... So he's like, yeah, I'm going to fill it with some KFC in the party barrel. <laughs> so anyway. How big is the party barrel? I don't, I don't know. I mentioned it's like a bucket of chicken. Uh, well, like, we know what a bucket of chicken is, and it's not that impressive, maybe it's frankly. A little, maybe the party barrel is a little bigger. Like, I don't I don't know. I have to Google the party, the, Garbage Jap- can. the Japanese party barrel of KFC chicken. But I mean, it, it was it was interesting to see how they look at Christmas in Japan because it's more of a family reunion time because there are so few Christians in the country. And there's same thing with that not here, the same right? emphasis that it is here in the United States. What, a family reunion? I think that's what a well, lot there's, of families there's, get Yeah, I, every holiday is like an excuse for a family reunion in the U.S., I swear. You know, but maybe more so with Christmas and, and I, Thanksgiving is, is a big one. But, yeah, so you can, you can go to Japan and you can get your, your KFC party bucket. <laughs> party barrel. The, so party the last barrel. one. The last one. Uh, it goes with um, – it's Catalonia, Spain. <laughs> this one caught me. Because um, this is an NPR article that I was pulling stuff from. Yeah. A catalog, a catalog log. That Start again. I can't. It's a Catalonian log. That the hell po- a Catalonian would you log. you let me get this throughout? Okay, Catalonian log. That poops nougats at Christmas. <laughs> so I, I like. I so got, say it again with a straight face. I can't. It's a Catalonian log <laughs> poops nougats at Christmas and it's called <laughs> cagatillo <laughs> well, first off what's a Catalonian log I'm gonna explain this okay all right okay so they have a log it's a log like a log a log 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 wood so it's got a smiley face on the wooden part that's cut and you you feed the log Throughout the month of December, you leave like treats to it and things, okay? And then at some point, you put a blanket over it. And when the blanket's removed, there's these tasty nougats. So, anyway, I go on to read some more about this. Um, because the treats that are left are called Tyrone. I can't do, I can't roll my R's, but it's called Tyrone, and it's a traditional Christmas candy in Spain, and it was even so many words we could go out and play on that, but I'm not going to. I know, I know, and it was even, like, it was so valued in the past that it was even used as currency. If you didn't have enough money on you, you could be like, you want some nougat? (laughs) Do you want some Tyrone? And they'll be like, okay. So, because they had almonds and like high quality ingredients and just stuff that like during the medieval times was expensive to have. Grow a whole crop on it, apparently, too. Anyway, um, in this article I was reading by NPR, they asked this this family had moved to um, this area of Spain, uh, Catalonia, and they were like, what is going on once they heard about this cagatillo legend story? So, they, they talked to one of their 
these friends, uh, their daughter, or whatever, was a teenager, and she's <laughs> they asked her to explain it. Yeah. So this is what she said. <laughs> what? During Christmas, there's a log that you feed scraps of food. Then he poops presents when you hit him with a stick and sing a song. So, sorry, everybody. Sorry. She, she can't deliver the news. I just can't imagine. You want to try to report and re- repeat that again? I can't. Because I anyway, didn't quite get all of it. No, you hit, you hit the log with a stick and sing a song to get him to poop. Okay. And there's a log poop. Yeah, so... There's a log poop. He poops the nougats. So it just happens. Well, what happens is the parents, they hide the nougat under the blanket and tell, like, the kids to scatter. And then they come back and they move the blanket and then there's... Yeah. The nougat. The nougat poop. The tyrone. So, the tyrone. So, I can't believe you remember that. But it's the... It goes back. It's kind of a pagan tradition around the winter solstice. But it's, like, there's no reason... How the whole poop thing got I'm like no one knows, yeah. no one knows. I'm confused. It just turned into that somehow. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, that's uh, if you are in, in the Catalan region of Spain. Um, yeah, I got some new things you guys you can do at your caga- house during the holidays you, this year. Yes, See, they're really short please, on money. Please you know? introduce the cagatillo tradition into your household yeah. this holiday season. You got to make do. The log that will keep giving. Yeah, there you go. Okay. Well, thanks, so, Amber. Okay, that's my news. Do 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 do. And thanks. You're welcome. And anyway, that's pretty damn bizarre. We have Mark on spa stories. Want to talk about one more thing though? Oh, do. Oh, yes. I'm sorry. Go no, ahead. No, you're cool. No, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. that's fine. I forgot. Um, yeah. Before we get into that, I do want to talk about the new thing we're doing with Ghostly Talk. Um, and I'll I, I'll keep it very brief. Uh, I. And, you know, I was thinking about doing an intro show for this thing, but we just—I just didn't get around to it. I just wanted to get right into it with people, uh, and we're doing this new companion series, I guess we could call it, right, Amber? I don't—I don't know what to call it anymore. It's called Stairway Spirits, and the background of this thing was I started working on a book uh, about 14 years ago now, um, and got deep into it. Did a ton of interview work, lots of traveling. I was really into the idea of writing a book based around just more or less experiences, like be, like going directly to the people and getting the interviews and getting all that stuff and then writing it, right? And um, yeah, well, life got in the way. Just one of those things. Got really busy. Ghostly Talk went on hiatus at that time too. And we were, I, I know what. Without getting too deep into that, yeah, I kind of distanced myself from this whole thing for a while, and this thing got kind of got put on ice. But it was something I knew I wanted to keep, I wanted to do someday, and it came around this year. And I said, okay, well, you know, I'm going to sit down and take all this source material I have and and finish this book up. And when I started working on that, I'm like, man, this is going to be really tough to do. Maybe there's a way, you know, another way to do this thing. And someday, yeah, maybe there will be a print edition of this thing that may come out. But for one thing, all the source material I have is pretty old, <laughs> right? And two, uh, yeah, time's a factor on these things. So I said, you know what? How about we take this idea, what, which is, it's an idea that we've, we've discussed on this show a lot, 
but it's something I wanted to just dive into and, sp- and really get to the guts of and explore the space of this idea. Uh, and that is the idea of, of uh, paranormal activity, uh, supernatural activity around or near stairways. Now, I guess let's let's specify a little bit here, because when you say near stairways, well, yeah, you know, if you're on the other side of the house, I guess that's technically still near, still near a stairway. I mean, this is more or less circling around the stairway, right? So that's what we're going to be doing as a companion piece to Ghostly Talk. Now is this is this series called Stairway Spirits, uh, and what may come of that down the road for for me or whoever is going to well, for me is going to be possibly a print edition of this thing. I'm not sure. I haven't even crossed that road yet, to be honest with you. Uh, Amber's the the professional writer here. I'm not, uh, but it's something that yeah that may come of this thing, and I thought. Why not take that work, though, and put it out to you guys, the community out there, and let you hear it, you know, like as a podcast, like we do Ghostly Talk, but a little more serious, a little more directed, uh, a little more business-like, I guess. That's kind of what the idea is. So we got our first episode up. I think what we put that up last week, didn't we? Yeah. Uh, with, with our dear friend, Scott Sukel, and that's up there for you guys to check out. And it's out there in all the podcast land things, and it's on the website and all that good stuff. And you can find it at stairwayspirits.com. Or ghostlytalk.com. It's the yeah. same thing. But, well, stair- yeah, it's the same. It's- but if, it doesn't matter. Well, I'm paying for the damn domain name. Can I at least say <laughs> stairway? Okay. Can I at least have okay. the gratification? Okay. <laughs> I've been paying for the damn domain name for 14 okay. years because okay. I knew I was going to come back to okay. Seriously, people. Don't, guys, don't type in ghostlytalk.com. Type in stairwayspirits.com. Yeah, please. You're, you're, <laughs> you're doing me Scott the favor. happy. Yeah, you're doing Knowing me the favor. Know as you're doing it, an angel gets its wings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a stairway spirit gets its wings. A stairway spirit gets its wings at the top of the stairway. Now, would you like people who maybe have a, a an interesting story involving a staircase to contact you? This is, this is anybody. Anybody out there, whether you're an author yourself or a researcher or just somebody who may have a cool story, uh-huh. I don't care. I want to talk to anybody out there about this thing, much like ghostly talk. We have yeah. we have people from all different walks of life, you know, whether they're you know professional types or or just somebody who has a cool story to tell. And us. you can same thing. Send messages either uh, on you, our contact page at ghostlytalk.com or stairway, stairwayspirits.com. <laughs> no, 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 stairwayspirits at ghostlytalk.com. Okay, now well, we're com- now we're confusing the we, hell out you, of people. No, you are because that's not there's not a separate contact page on the ghostly talk page. Yes, there is. No, there's not. There's not a separate contact page on the Stairway not, Spirits just, page. Oh, my God. Stop. Okay. You're the one that's making this <laughs> more complicated. No, I'm not. Anyway, if you want to contact Scott, just go to ghostlytalk.com. You'll figure it out somehow. Or go to our social media sources, such as Instagram, Twitter, preferably not Twitter. I don't think we're hard to Facebook. find. And Facebook. We're not hard to find. We're not, we're not really <laughs> hard to find. But if you have a story, would love to talk to you about it. Uh, a nice little spirited conversation about this idea of spirits uh, that are around stairways. I think it's a very interesting idea, and I'm really excited to finally start exploring this after so many years. I slept on it for too long, and I want to get out, get this thing out there for the new year and just start putting more of those shows in the can along with Ghostly Talk, too. So that doesn't mean we're going to be doing any less Ghostly Talk. Just putting more work no, on it's myself. it's just a supplement. Yeah, something else we're doing. So cool. Check that out for sure. Now, let's talk about Mark. I got his bio. Hurry up. Oh, my God. Hurry up. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. What's, what's going on here? You, <sighs> I'm not going to read it because a lot of people, you can go to his you website. You know who this dude is, man. This guy, if you're a listener of the show, you know who Mark is. Here's his is. bio. But Mark on Spot, he rules. 
Oh, There's his that's body. That's it. He wrote Mark some on, books and he rules. He's, he's, he's done no, a lot of he's stuff. A, he's a native Californian. Yeah. He grew up on a steady diet of horror, science fiction, and yeah. DC comics. He's a proud member of the Horror Writers Association and the International Thriller Writers Association. And in addition to the produced film Kill Katie Malone, he has several other screenplays in various stages of development and was also one of the writers of the cult favorite Flight of the Living Dead. While Onspa is definitely a fan of the horror genre, he also writes science fiction and comedy. And he's done a bunch of other stuff. He's got books out there. You can get his stuff on Kindle in print form. We have the links on our website. Yeah. Enjoy our show with the wonderfully talented Mark Onspa. Again, we had in in restaurant dining is closed. You can only do carry out right. and you can't go to theaters and gyms are like 50-50. Like you can't do a group class, but you can still go to a gym. It's a lot of gray areas. It's weird. And I won't go into the details of my situation, but long story short, we've had now five confirmed cases at the gym that I go to. Right. Oh and, no! And I flat out said I'm going to be working out from home. I'm we we you know we do yeah. we do CrossFit, so it's more community. It's more you know you work you work together, right? And right. I'm like, God, no, this is getting a little too spooky for me. This is getting a little too close to home, and I don't want to risk it. And as of this as of this date, I have now had eight <laughs> COVID tests this year. I don't know if I have the record or not, but I I know. Oh I'm no! Some, yeah. Really? Well, I mean, the I'm, one up the nose. Oh God, yeah, the, the yeah the the the, oh, the, yeah, the brain scan they do Ugh. or whatever it's it's it feels like they're actually going no. up into your it's the worst no. feeling ever. No, um, and, you know the funny thing about that too, this is and this is what really kind of grinds my nerves about this whole system that you know, the whole thing that's set up now is because, like for example, um, they have like the 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 rapid test, and then they have the PCR test. Right, which is like the long. Mm-hmm. That, that's the one. The rapid one, obviously, is like right on the spot. You like you get your results in like thirty minutes or something like that. But they say it's like so, uh, seventy to eighty percent accurate, and then the PCR test is like ninety five to ninety nine percent accurate or something like that. But it takes like two or three days. So fine. I've had this rapid test done a few times, and I've had people just kind of just brush my nose a little bit, just just the the tip of a Q-tip, just a little bit on the edge, you know, the edge of my nostril, and I'm like, oh, well, that was wonderful, that that was that was great, that was super easy, thanks. And then I've had people right. for the exact same test drill it right up into my brain. Well, that's weird. Then, like, I, I'm I'm telling why? you, I have I have that many in in my, under my belt now that I'm seeing weird stuff. I am. Uh. Because I, I I I said to one of the nurses, one of the guys, I, I, I had a gal a weekend before. I I literally was getting them because I've been sick here just off and on, just getting you know colds and seasonal allergy stuff and whatnot. And um, right, 
like you know of course this year though you you that that happens and you're running to get a I'm COVID dying. test. You're, you're, you could be dying. So, um, yeah. So yeah. I'm getting tests all the time, and yeah, that's one weekend. This lady barely even touched me with the thing, and then the weekend later, this guy drilled the thing right into my brain. I'm like, dude, last weekend, the girl barely even touched me with that thing. Well, this is how we do the test. So, <laughs> you know, and again, I'm I don't work in the medical system. I'm not trying to beat them up, I think but I've that's, heard, though, that's some that, serious inconsistency. I think man. I've heard that it's more accurate the farther they go up, which I don't know why oh, well, more what? germs live it farther put to, to your brain or well, something. They hit the gray matter then. I mean, I don't know. what's it worth it when they kill you because they drill it up in your brain? <laughs> now you're dead completely. It's it's ridiculous. But that's but that's kind of where I get, you know, and I'm rolling, by the way. I just let, I just turn everything on, so I guess we can just go with it. <laughs> How long have you been recording? You, know, you snuck you snuck attacked us. Wait, no, that's I didn't a, think attack anybody. I, I snuck attack. <laughs> I snuck attacked you. Yeah, way to go. Way to... I can't even talk. You know, you... my my wife had a terrible experience. We went through a drive through test uh, because we had to go to UCLA Med Center, and so she's in the passenger seat, and the nurse has the swab, and started stinging up her nose. Yeah, and. Uh, she said to my wife, go back. So my wife kept leaning back because she kept saying, go back, go back. No, go back. And what she meant was return to your original position. Oh, so Toby she keeps had been jamming it forward a bit. Yeah. So she kept jamming, you know, harder and harder. I mean, it was, it was just horrible. Oh, my God. I mean, and, you know, a lot of it was just communication on part of the nurse. Yeah, yeah. Who, um, I mean, but that failed that. that <laughs> but that's what scares me, though. And I, I don't want to turn this into the COVID hour. But like, um, no. <laughs> I mean, judging just judging on those experiences I've had, and I just talked about one little thing, right? I don't want to get into the fact of the inconsistent information I've got. I've sat on the phone for a, a couple of times. Amber's heard me just flipping out in my in my study because I I'm sitting there getting different information from people at the same office about what I should be doing, and that's that's a whole different thing. That's what scares me about, and again, I don't want to make this, let's, let's cap this in like another two minutes and then we're done because there's way more cooler stuff to talk about than COVID. Um, that, but what scares me is this, the, what is it? The serum we have now, the, the, the cure all they say we have the vaccine, the vaccine. I'm sorry. That's the word we should be using the V word. Uh, V is for vendetta. So that's where I'm getting a little nervous about that because I understand people want to get back to regular life. But I keep saying, okay, fine, you want to jump in head first on this thing, and then seven months down the road, you grow another lip on your shoulder well, or that, something like that. That can't happen. How do you know? Science. How in the hell do you know? How many vaccines do you know in, in the span of the human race that you suddenly grow a lip? On your shoulder. <laughs> yeah, on your shoulder. I don't know, but... <laughs> It's Maybe an happen. ear, but not a lip. Okay, okay, we'll say an ear. So it's, <laughs> so Amber accepts the believability yeah. of this now. We'll say an ear <laughs> on your shoulder, right? I, I think the worst case scenario that's going to come from a vaccine is there's going to be some side effects with a few people. Maybe some that yeah. aren't going to be so great with, with a very, very minute amount of people that have some kind of sensitivity to it. And they'll probably be the usual things where your arm's sore, maybe you're a little weak the next day, and then it's nothing. So when are you going to get your uh, shot, Amber? Not signing up right away. I'm gonna oh, wait a minute. I'm going to let those healthcare workers get those shots. <laughs> That's right. I, I'm, That's right. They're going to get healthcare them workers and yeah. uh, seniors in uh, you know um, assisted living facilities, things we, like that. We can't sign up until like even maybe April if really? we wanted it. So all those people have to go through it first before why do us. We want, why do we want to risk killing all the healthcare workers? Because it's not going to kill them. 
It's not going to kill him. Why don't we put the politicians first? Ugh. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. It's not going to kill him. I'm not, now I've gone political. Why would we want to save all them? That's my question. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, this is our political hour, too. This is People like it when you're topical. <laughs> okay. So, so we've, we've covered all the bases now. Yeah, we're done. Yeah, now I'm, let's, I'm get, done. I'm let's done. get on the creepy, uh, weird Christmas. By the way. Uh, and storytelling. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about cool stuff. Uh, tonight, we are joined uh, by our dear friend, Mr. Mark Onspa, who uh, we love having here as much as possible. Mark, thanks for taking some time to come chat with us again and uh, offer some more stories tonight. How are you? Well, we've kind of gotten in past the whole how are you part. This year has been complete hell on everybody. <laughs> so we're all kind of in the same boat now. Well, I'm very glad to be back. Thank you both. Yeah, yeah. And um, we had a couple things on the agenda tonight, I think. And obviously, well, we're we're staring Christmas smack dab right in the face now. Are we allowed to call it Christmas anymore? Yeah, you can. Is this the holiday season? <laughs> oh yes. I can't keep up anymore. It's. Uh, and I'm not trying to be like get on my lawn guy, but it's like, is that still cool? <laughs> You can say Christmas. <laughs> I, I, I think for the purposes of this show, it's fine. Okay, good. I mean, I All did right. name my book Christmas Ghost Stories, so <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to call it Holiday Ghost Stories. <laughs> well, you're going to have to do the reissue now and call it yeah, <laughs> Holiday Ghost Story. That sounds so much like Second edition. Boring. Second edition. Holiday Ghost Stories. Holiday Ghost Stories. Ghost stories. <laughs> <laughs> so, but you have some... Let's just dive right into this, because I, I read this and I, I was like, ooh, neat. Oh, cool. Uh, some juicy, horrific stuff. From Icelandic Christmas folklore. Yes. yes. Let's dive right into yes. this. I want to hear all about this, Mark. All right. Well, this is stuff that goes back to like the uh, 13th century. Ooh. And yeah. um, this is uh, monsters that come to town in Iceland and surrounding areas during Christmas. Okay. And um, these were stories that were used generally to scare kids into being good which is a common theme for Christmas monsters, it seems. Mm -hmm. And uh, these are everything from pranksters to homicidal monsters that eat disobedient children, uh, which is always a fun, yeah. a fun time for yeah. everyone. I yeah. think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah so I, I found out. I found out all these all these uh, creatures live together as a family, which which is nice. Um, <laughs> Kind of like the Mansons in Iceland, I guess. <laughs> and uh, this includes the giantess Grilla, her lazy husband Lepaludi, and their 13 sons known as the Yule Lads, which I think was a punk band <laughs> back yes, in the it 80s. Sounds I'm like a sure. band. Sounds, yeah. <laughs> and their monstrous pet, the Yule Cat, Ooh. which every family needs. So Grilla, who is, who is the main, uh, you know, uh, troll to be concerned with here. Um, she's mentioned in 13th century Norse mythology, but she had no connection to Christmas back then. And she was a parasitic beggar who would walk around asking parents to give her their disobedient children. And then if you gave her food or chased her away, then she'd let you alone. And originally she lived in a small cottage, but in later, later literature, she's been forced out of town and lives in a cave which is uh, sad, uh, depending on whether you're Greeler or not. <laughs> so anyway, around the 17th century, she became associated with Christmas, and she can detect children who are misbehaving year-round. And during the Christmas uh, season, she comes down from the mountains and searches you know, for food, 
She hunts children and carries them home in her giant sack, <laughs> and she devours them as her favorite snack. And her favorite dish is a stew made of naughty children, for which she has an insatiable appetite. And according to the legend, there is never a shortage of food for Grilla. Uh. So, <laughs> Children's stew. Now, Le- Lepaludi is her third husband. So she has been unlucky in love, poor Grilla. And he's a stay-at-home type because he's lazy, and he waits for her to bring home the bacon, which we all know is a euphemism for disobedient children. Yeah. <laughs> and then Yule Cat is... Uh, He's this monstrous cat who lurks around the snowy countryside during Christmas. And get this, he eats people who have not received any new clothes to wear before Christmas Eve. Well, that's... What a jerk! (laughs) (laughs) So, if you get a tie in Iceland, don't say, I don't wear ties, say thank you. But um, apparently... This was used by farmers as an incentive to get their workers to finish processing autumn wool because those who worked hard would get new clothes, but those who didn't would get nothing and then would be a victim of the Yule Cat. And um, it used to be that the Yule Cat was also just interested in eating your lunch, but that didn't really, uh, you know, incentivize workers to process that wool, so they went back to having him eat people. So, what I find it, it's a harsh, yeah. harsh country that Iceland. Yeah, no kidding. I I find so the Yule lads. Go ahead. The Yule lads are fun. There are thirteen of them because um, Grilla and uh, Lepaludi were quite prolific. And like I said, they can either be pranksters or monsters that eat kids. And in the 18th century, the kid eater version was often used to scare kids into behaving. And the king of uh, Denmark objected to that. So I guess they just became pranksters. So each one comes on a different night. And, and here's another, another one for you. Local children leave a shoe on the windowsill. If they've been good, a Yule lad will leave a small gift or sweets in their shoe. If they've been bad, they'll find a potato in their shoe. But I, I figure, you know, that's better than a lump of coal because, you know, French fries. Yeah, you could do something so. with a potato. Baked potato, bake, a little bacon, a little sour cream. Um, exactly, French fries. <laughs> yeah, what a, what a nice yeah, gift. I know, that's not the worst, yeah. Way more functional than coal. <laughs> so, so I'm not going to mangle their, uh, the, the Yule Lads uh, Icelandic names because I'm sure we have a lot of Icelandic listeners out there and they <laughs> we, probably we are already insulted the way I said Grilla <laughs> and uh, Lepaludi. <laughs> so I'm going to give you their um, English translation names and you can see um, they're not very formidable in their current incarnation. Our first one is called Sheep Coat, that's C-O-T-E, like where the sheep are kept, Claude, not Claude the name, but like Claude Hopper. His whole deal is he harasses sheep, but is impaired by his stiff peg legs. So if you have sheep, you know, you need to watch out for this stiffly walking peg-legged Claude. Is that where the term Claude Next Hopper have... comes from? I don't know. What's that? Did it, Mark, did, when you research, is that where the term Claude Hopper comes from? Because, like, I've used that before. I, that I don't know, to tell you the truth. I think he's just clumsy because he's got stiff legs. There's gotta so he's be a some, Claude. There's got to be some connection with that because I've called people, I'm like, you Claude Hopper. You're like, if, if, when someone is, like, clumsy. <laughs> so, whatever. Okay, go on, Mark. 
Uh, next, we have Gully Gawk, and he hides in gullies waiting for an opportunity to sneak into the cow shed and steal milk. You're going to find out a lot of these uh, Yule lads uh, don't get enough to eat or drink. <laughs> Stubby, who's my favorite dwarf in the Disney cartoons, is abnormally short, and he steals pans to eat the crust left in them. So he's, he's not a picky eater, Stubby. <laughs> Spoon Licker. Can you guess what he does? <laughs> uh, I feel like the Mr. Rogers of Iceland. <laughs> spoon Licker steals and licks wooden spoons, and he's extremely thin because he's malnourished. Because you don't get a lot off a spoon. No. Pot Scraper steals leftovers from pots. Bowl Licker. Hides under beds and waits for someone to put down their oscure, which is a type of bowl with a lid that they use instead of dishes, and he'll steal that and uh, lick that bowl. All right. So if your oscure is very clean in the morning, I wouldn't use it. <laughs> door slammer. He likes to slam doors, especially during the night, and wake people up. He's kind of an asshole. <laughs> oh, I shouldn't say that on the air. Kind of a jerk. Kind of a jerk. <laughs> Um, Skier Gobbler has a great affinity for yogurt. Now, here we get into questionable territory. Sausage Swiper. What? Hides in the rafters and... (laughs) What? Nothing. (laughs) He hides in the rafters and snatches snatches sausages that are being smoked. (laughs) Window Peeper is a snoop who looks through windows in search of things to steal. Doorway Sniffer has an abnormally large nose and an acute sense of smell, which he uses to locate leaf bread, and that's a thin fried bread that has leaf patterns on it. Mm -hmm. And then here's one that sounds terrible, who's Meat Hook, but he just uses a hook to steal meat. I'm sure in other versions it's not just meat he's stealing with that hook. And then finally we have Candle Stealer, who follows children in order to steal their candles. And this is because candles used to be made of tallow, which was edible. Mm. So that that's your Yule Lad rundown. And uh, like I said, one appears every night over the 13 nights from uh, just before Christmas till after Christmas. And then some of them kind of hang around, and I guess they have a big reunion, you know, because they haven't seen each other since they were in the cave a few days ago. <laughs> I don't know why I'm picturing like the Warriors. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie The Warriors. <laughs> like this gang. The guy clinking the bottle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you lads, come out and play. Yeah, there you go, right? Um, I, don't, I just, they're like a gang of just jerks. Yeah, they're. <laughs> they just do I, irritating I, stuff. I, I can't stop laughing at what was the sausage swiper? Sausage stealer. Or Sa- sausage swiper. Swiper. Sausage swiper. I don't know why my mind. He went, hides in the rafters. My mind and went the wrong way. Snatches your sausage. My mind which, actually uh, didn't go the wrong way. Uh, I actually pictured you because that's something I think you would do, Amber. Because you you smoke sausage. Okay, oh, okay. It. It's all if over I way. was one of them, I probably would steal people's sausage. Yeah, that totally. Would, that would be your job. Yeah, in food form. <laughs> food form. Food form. <laughs> not not a euphemism. The Yule lads creating havoc. The Yule lads. Yeah, they can have their own theme song. They get like like the Warriors. They can have matching jackets, the Yule Lads or whatever on the back. Um, (laughs) I mean, a back patch. Yeah, I was gonna say they're they're the Rockers. Go ahead, go ahead. I think they'd be a punk group. I think they'd be a great punk group. Yeah, they they could do they could do all that stuff. Yeah, that uh, 
It's ridiculous. It's not ridiculous. It is. It's insanity. It's crazy. Uh, but it's hilarious, though, too. I love it. I, I want to see this acted out. Like, because yeah, why? Because the, the, <laughs> the things that they do are so not something at least in the US that you would you would just be like why are you doing why are you doing that why are you looking at that bowl why why are you only after sausage well you've got pizza here we got something well better. yeah yeah there's all this stuff here why? and all you want to do is lick a spoon what yeah that's what <laughs> if there's yeah, peanut, they're, they're specialists if there's peanut butter on the spoon well it's very specialized like too specialized yeah like that's weird cuz okay dude you're hungry spoon licker i mean okay obviously you're hungry and I'm being, I'm going to feel a certain affinity to somebody that if they're willing to go through all that work to break into my house and lick a spoon, <laughs> I might go easy on them. I mean, I may get a little harsh language, like but send, I'll be after that be like, hey, just, you know what? Just dude? send them home with a couple spoons and the jar of peanut butter. Well, I was gonna say, no, I'll make you a sandwich. I'll make you a sandwich or yeah, something. I don't think you want to exactly. sit with someone for too long that does that. It might be weird. Well, they were probably really sad when the dishwasher was invented, you know? Yeah, everything's clean. Yeah. Done. Or people that have a tidy house, you know, and don't exactly. leave their dishes laying around. I mean, that's that's the other thing too. Or, or, or but it it, yeah. it also Go makes ahead. you wonder what their more monstrous incarnations were like, you know, because they had them. I didn't find anything about that yet, but um, obviously they weren't just licking spoons and slamming doors and uh, swiping sausages. Um, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure Meat Hook had a tale to tell. Yeah. Um, like but it, it's, it's interesting to me that, you know, in some of these very harsh environments, there's some really scary stuff lurking, you know, in the shadows and out there in the cold. There, There is, yeah. like, especially associated with Christmas tales, when you go back pre-Christian times, there there is a lot of dark stuff. And we've talked about this in previous episodes where this time of year, there is like a weirdness and because of like the darkness and well, it's and the, there's that whole kind of like the, good, the good and bad of this time of year and and weighing that like weighing like like Santa if you know you right. be nice or and 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 especially a focus on children like if you don't do this if you don't behave and parents throughout the centuries have used it as leverage to get their kids to do something to get yeah. a gift or whatever but it's it's kind of interesting how that goes throughout all cultures around the world that I can, I can this tell you this I mean maybe it, it maybe it's just the environment we're in right now as a country but this weather finally kicked in like the last couple of days here in Michigan I'll say where it's the bitter cold like you, you put your head out in right. the morning to like just check the mail or just see the lay of the land and it the weather kind of hits you and it's that weather that you know it's trying to kill you right and that's like, I, I tell you, it kind of bummed me out because I've really been trying to, especially in the situation, again, the situation we're in, I've been trying to spend more time outside because we're all cooped up in our houses a lot now. And now it's going to be harder to even get outside. So I think that's going to add to that gravity you're talking about, Amber, uh, with the season. Well, this year, though, I noticed right after Thanksgiving and even before People were already putting out Christmas decorations, having their lights yep. on already. There were Christmas, like the earliest I've ever seen a Christmas tree in someone's window. 
Yeah. And I Same told her, yeah, I, I get it because people are like, F this year, it's a dumpster fire. We want like some bling and some sparkle and just something fun. Plus, we did have like an unusually warm November in Michigan. So Plus, people, people were got more time on their hands. Well, that and people were just like, okay, let's take advantage of this before it's awful here and let's yeah. get the lights up. But yeah, it it's you see it everywhere. And so, yeah, and that's interesting that California is the same way that it's and, and I'm sure even well, around the I world. I think people need a. People need a respite from, yeah. you know, all the anxiety and everything that the virus has brought with it. And um, no matter what your political affiliation, you know, it's been a very trying year as well. Yep. And, um, you know, I think people need an escape from that. As far as Christmas, you know, we've talked about the fact that Christmas comes when the days are very short, the nights are very long. And I think when people were huddled together in caves or longhouses and things, I think it was vital that their children obeyed them, you know, because they could very easily get killed if they went wandering off by themselves or, you know, went to play around the creek or whatever it was. And so I think a lot of these stories were either cautionary tales or this is what happens when you don't obey, you know, your parents. You end up food for something else, which probably was a very real worry way back. Oh, for sure. You know, now it's, now it's more like don't cross the street, you know, without looking or don't, you know, yeah, whatever it is. But now it's used more like you didn't clean your room, so Bell Snickle is going to get you, <laughs> whatever. Well, and I think that's the, the that's a lot of it, honestly, is and especially back in those times. You're right. Things were a bit more dangerous. Well, not a bit. They were a lot more dangerous. Uh, we didn't have all the controls we have in place now, for better or for worse, I think. And... I think there's so much there is so much reality rooted in all these all these stories. Uh and yeah, like you could be eaten. This thing this this creature is going to come eat you when that creature may very well be be very real. It could be a bear. It could be a, a mountain lion. It could be something, I don't know, right? But they right. very well could right. eat you. So, you know, while so we hear these these insane stories, these these wild stories, but really they're very much rooted in reality, I think. Oh yeah, they 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 go. They there's reasons for all this stuff. Yeah, it just starts getting weirder yeah. and weirder as time goes on, and things get like like any legend. Well, they out get there, weirder and weirder because it gets we change as people. It seems like so. I think the further we go along as people, the more foreign these ideas become to us. Well, sure. That's just my idea. I don't. I don't what do I know? Well, I also think that, you know, way back, you know, there have always been people, too, that are nuts or just crazy. And so fear of the stranger, you know, was, was also justified. And that's why, you know, it's like you don't talk to strangers or if you encounter somebody strange, you know, for your village or your group or whatever it is, you know, run away or go tell your parents. And then it morphed into don't get into a stranger's car if they offer you candy or yeah or whatever that's that's one that we got as kids yeah you know don't talk to strangers don't get into a strange car that, and um i think all that is rooted in survival it is and that's the only thing that when i grew up and i got the story like you know do yeah don't take candy from strangers don't 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 talk to people there was a guy that tried to pick us up like he tried to get us to come to his car and i don't whatever we all scream and ran because we knew better but yeah. like that mm-hmm. little nightmare actually happened to us so it's it's spooky to think like people can just come out of nowhere and just plunk a kid out 
you know, and do that. And then even troubling, even it can happen right now. Yeah. And even like the fears of like these little like creatures from the past, like plucking your kids and eating them and making soup out of them. And um, I don't know. It seems so outlandish, but. Then you turn on Netflix or something like that and go to American crime drama or whatever it is. And they're right someone's fr- done it. It's someone's <laughs> done it. So it isn't that it, it, it isn't that far out of the ordinary. It seems because it's just seems no. so insane. No. Right. Um, but it does happen, I think. So, again, it, it keeps falling back to that idea. And I find this really fascinating. It just keeps coming back to that idea that all this the, these wild stories we hear. The, these 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 tales, they're very much real because they have really happened. I think they have happened. <sighs> yeah, I think they have their roots in reality, and they're either uh, things to be wary of or things to aspire to. You know, if you tell yeah. a heroic tale, or the um, you know, there's a trope in fairy tales and a lot of legends and everything where a young man or woman is out to seek their fortune and they meet a beggar. And they're kind to that person, you know. Then they're usually rewarded, you know. So, you know, there's this kind of um, double-edged thing where it's yeah. like, don't talk to strangers. But on the other hand, if you meet somebody who seems needy, you know, at least be kind to them. Don't uh, insult them and pelt them with rocks or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a dark time of year, though. I think. And you're right. You're right, Amber. And that's what, it. It is. It, 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 it. That's why we put up those lights. Yeah. Wow. That's a, that's a really interesting way to to think about that too. You know, maybe we need some prettiness. I mean, because I mean, Christmas to me, at least, is that. I mean, at least when I was a child. I mean, of course, the older you get, I think the more bah humbug you get. You know, it, it's just another day sometimes for some of us. And but I know growing up and even to a certain degree in my adult life now, it can, it still has that bit of magic to it, like that the pretty the beautiful lights and the feeling and all yeah. the things you see in front of you. And I wonder if that and Amber dive in here too well, if you want. But is are those things like you just said, Mark? Like the lights? I mean. Because I just, it's a dark time of year for people, and maybe we need some illumination. We need some light, some prettiness, p- beautiful lights to make us feel good. Like like we do fireworks in July, right? I mean, freedom, freedom for, for America. Uh, but I mean, you know, I mean, but we do. It's something. It's not the same, but not. It's well, different. But the yeah, same there's probably an ancient. There's probably some ancient origins as to why lights are uh, lit at Christmas time. Um, I think that was there something like a bon, like the bonfire, like a Yule fire, or something that I, I think some other cultures would light like giant fires at this time of year to keep like evil spirits at bay. And there's also well, like so the we concept, did last year in Milwaukee for the Krampus Fest. Yeah, that was fun. And that um, there's also this concept that evil spirits come out at this time of year. And you like there was something I read today about Norway that one of the Christmas traditions that existed in Norway was hiding your brooms in the house because on Christmas right. Eve. It was like their devil's night. Like that's when like ghosts and goblins and bad stuff came out yeah. on Christmas Eve to mess with you. And if you didn't hide your broom, because naturally the only vehicle a witch can use is a broom to, to jettison about on. And they, you hide them, they can't bother you because they can't. They, they even though they come from another realm in time and dimension, if you hide your broom, they're like screwed. They can't find it. <laughs> they can't <laughs> they do didn't anything. Bring their own transportation. No, no they're done. 
So, but, but like those kind of traditions exist, and and it is an interesting contradiction to what a lot of us maybe growing up in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, when you grow up with Christmas being this really happy time with Santa, which yeah. we've talked about on previous shows too, like the idea of Santa, the concept of Santa was pretty much created by Coca-Cola. And then this whole mass marketing of the, the holiday um, as being one of right. just presents, 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 and kind of getting away from like well, the origins that, of it. And is that a distraction? Because I mean, I think a lot of us get wound up in the whole idea of the present giving type thing. I know that's the first thing I think of when the day after Thanksgiving, I think a lot of us go, okay, well, now it's game time. I have to figure out. I probably just let out how much of a, how much of a total procrastinator and, and loser I am when it comes to giving presents to my, to my family and friends because, yeah, I don't really don't even think about it until the day after Thanksgiving. I know some people are planning for this stuff in July, right? But no, that's just me though. So, But I know that's the first thing I think of is, uh, okay, presents, presents, presents. Got to get this stuff figured out. Uh, what do I got to get for who? Is that a big distraction, I guess, from that, this darkness we're talking about, like this, this, this solemn idea? You're saying I had an in-law that would start shopping for Christmas the day after Christmas. What? And she had a closet that was just for gifts, and she would fill that over the course of the year. Oh, wow. And um, then she would give those gifts out and then start the whole process on December 26th. <laughs> it actually makes perfect sense because that's when everything goes on sale. So you can get tons of stuff cheap. I know a lot of people that would buy things yeah. for Christmas presents the next year like and hit up all those but, after Christmas sales. But is that a distraction? Sure. That's, my, that's my thought on this. No, there's just an origin to Christmas presents, too. It's not a distraction. It just makes this time of year kind of fun. It's stressful for some. It's fun for others. Depends on who you are and what your yeah, situation is Yeah, I think it's what you make life. it. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I used it. to love going to a mall and go shopping for my family, you know, at Christmas. I haven't been to a mall in a long time, and I do most of my shopping online. But yeah. I still enjoy trying to find something I think they'll like. Yeah. I'm trying to find something for my grandparents who are, like, pushing 90. And they... They have everything that they, yeah, they need. Have everything. And so last year I made them handmade blankets. Well, I don't, I don't know. I can't make them blankets again. Like, I, it's so hard finding gifts for someone when you want to at least do something and get them something functional. And, and they, they, struggle, right. they struggle using Netflix. So I'm done getting them any kind of technology. Um, I've tried. It's, I've written down notes how to get to Netflix, how to do it. And they're like, we, we need another lesson. Like, oh. So I, because I thought, well, maybe I'll get them a an Alexa or something, and they can talk to it and ask it questions. I'm like, nope, nope. Somehow they'll end up charging things to my Amazon account, and like they'll be buying weird stuff. <laughs> like it will happen because that's a senior thing. And so I just, I was like, no, no, I'm not getting any technology for them. So I think as you get older too, you just don't need the presents. It's nicer to get together with family and food, eat lots of food. I'm I'm more excited about food than presents. I like a good present. But my friend just came. My birthday was this month. And my friend came oh, and she got birthday. me. Thank you. She got me a really cool picture 
of Krampus destroying. Yeah, we saw that last night. Krampus attacking Santa Claus and these three kids it's watching. Not, not attacking; he's ripping them apart. Well, yeah, pretty much. It's a really kind of dark. I could post Jeez it on Ghost. I sh- no, I shared it on our Ghostly Talk Instagram. No, 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 that was my personal one. Anyway, I could share the photo um, and link the artist to people. He's a really cool digital artist, but it's a it's a creepy, disturbing yeah. photo that I kind of got a chuckle out. Oh, of. I'd like to see that. Yeah, I'll have to send it to you, Mark. And it, I don't know, it's just creepy. Anyway, she got it framed. But then that was exciting getting that. Like, thank you. Wow, what a surprise. Then she opens up the second box and there's a cake in there. Kitchen last night. It was, it was <laughs> I something was to behold. I, was, I could hear it from outside in and the garage. And if she ever listens to this show, I absolutely adore. Was, I could hear it from outside in the garage. And if she ever listens to this show, I absolutely adore and love the photo and, and her thinking about me and my weirdness and that I would love this, this photo of Santa being attacked by Krampus. But it, the cake was really like, like that was like surprising. And like delicious and i don't know food just brings me more joy than actual presents so well that's my wife when her grandmother was still alive she would make her chocolate chip cookies at christmas Mm -hmm. which her grandmother loved and they were always uh you know they always went over well because this was a woman who lived almost 109 wow and uh she she had everything she needed as far as material goods but the cookies and the fact that they were homemade and that, you know, love and effort was put into it, that that's really something that she treasured. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think that, and that's, that's what makes it all worth – that's what – they're homemade. Yeah. They're made from someone. And I, I think no other holiday, at least in the U.S., has the connection to food like – Chris like like desserts and Christmas cookies and – Consumption. Traditional <laughs> – traditional – what am I thinking of? Like just something that you have every year. Why am I blanking on the word for that? Um, food. No, a tradition. Piles tradition. of food. I'm blank- tradition. I'm bl- tradition. Yeah. I blanked yeah. on that word. Tradition. And you have these traditional things that you only eat at this time of year. And Christmas yeah. is the big one. Yeah. Um, you might do a few things at like Thanksgiving or whatever, but Christmas is that time. Christmas is the big one. Everybody has the one thing they have every year for Christmas. Yeah. And and there's some stuff that if like when my grandma passes, I don't think i'll be able to make her apple strudel the same way like it, it won't taste the same because i'm i'm kind of a bad baker yeah. so it's not going to taste the same and it's just so once that's gone it's gone you know one day you'll have a bite of it and that will be the last bite you'll ever have um and and so it's that's the kind of and if you can learn God, how to I mean, make that it just sounds depressing well it's it no it's just you know this is the last bite of this apple strudel well, that I'll ever have. Yeah, but you don't ever know when you have aging relatives and stuff. It's just you like know. so final, though. It's like, so every time you have that. You're the only person I know who can make food like into like a depressive, like well, sad story. No, no, I'm trying to say like every time you have that traditional yeah. food from a family member, like, you know, I think there's a higher respect for it because of, yeah, the love that goes into making it yeah. and, and the person who's making it. And that that's, you know, that person's only on this planet for a finite amount of time. And, you know, and, and if it's something like my grandma, like I said, I don't think any of us will make it the same way. There's just a, the thinness to the dough that she does. And I'll just rip it and I'll get I'll get frustrated and I'll kind of put it in a clump and it will just no, no. They'll be like that. That that tradition's done, Hammond. Stop. We'll have to come up with something else. So. So, Mark, um, you had a couple stories to yep. bring to us tonight. <laughs> <laughs> She's getting wound up over here. Yeah, I want to I get her off this. She's getting upset, um, clearly. So <laughs> I had three, but you know, I, I maybe I should just read two. Um, 
Completely up to you, sir. Because one is actually, huh? Completely up to you. Why don't we do two? Um, okay. Because because of the time, and uh, I think the other one actually doesn't have an ending because it's. I wrote uh, bookends for my collections where something is set up to why these stories are being told, and then at the end there's uh, a denouement as far as what happens to the people that were telling the stories or listening to the stories. And rather than read that one, I have one from my book and then one I wrote for this uh, podcast. Oh! So why don't we do those two? Yes. Excellent. Sounds great. Okay. So the first story is called Jack Frost. Glenna was only five the first time she saw him. She'd seen pictures, of course, and one silly movie, but none had matched her vision of the elf that brought the icicles and hoarfrost of winter. And she didn't believe he nipped at people's noses. That seemed a very mean thing to do, and Glenna was not a mean little girl. On that fateful day when she was five, she and her brothers had gone skating on Merrill's Pond. All the kids from Grenville went there, and it was understood that no one was to skate beyond the yellow tape the sheriff and his deputies put out every year. That forbidden side of the pond was partially hidden by a stand of trees, and the ice over there never seemed as solid, even in the dead of winter. But Glenna's brothers Rick and Andy were adventurous and thought little of the warnings they got from their parents, teachers, and the local constabulary. They usually paid Glenna 50 cents to serve as a lookout. If any adult came over to yell at them, they would say Glenna wandered past the yellow tape and they, being good big brothers, had gone to rescue her. There was a clause in their sibling contract that if they were caught and Glenna got in trouble, usually no dessert and no TV for a week, then they would buy her whatever toy she fancied at the mall as long as it wasn't over $10. Glenna had gotten a new doll and a play, uh, play tea set in this fashion. So Glenna watched for any grown-ups and thought about what she might want if she got in trouble. Rick and Andy were daring each other to skate closer and closer to a particularly dicey passage of, patch of ice where the roots of a tree were partially exposed. Andy called to her, and she turned to see him try again to perform an axle jump. This usually meant that he landed on his butt, but Glenna thought he was getting better at it. Rick was ignoring both of them, checking out something out near an exposed root. Andy built up speed and leaped. He came down a little off balance, but recovered his footing, making it his first successful attempt. Glenna applauded and looked over to see if Rick had seen the stunt. Rick was gone. She frantically scanned their side of the pond, but he was nowhere to be seen. Andy had also registered their older brother's disappearance and sped over to the spot where they had seen him last. As Glenna hurried over, she happened to look down and saw a young man staring up at her through a patch of ice as clear as glass. He was in his 20s and very handsome. He had an unruly mop of brown hair that swirled in the freezing water, and his ears were oh so slightly pointed. More remarkable than any of this, though, was his skin, which was the pale blue of a robin's egg. It was a most lovely shade of blue, she would think later. The blue young man smiled at Glenna and winked. Then he swam off as fast as a shark, dragging something dark behind him. She had a glimpse of Rick's red and gold muffler, and then they were gone. Glenna knew then that Jack Frost had taken her brother. 
She also knew no one would believe her. She kept quiet, except to corroborate Andy's story that Rick had wandered over to the wrong side of the ice, Andy had gone to fetch him, and she had followed. In this way, they hoped to avoid being punished. Bad enough to lose their brother, but to be chastised on the top of that? Indeed, the subject of discipline and its expressions in being grounded, no desserts or on TV, was ever brought up. Glenna felt a little guilty about that, but never enough to amend their story. A search was performed, but it was clear Rick had fallen through the ice and couldn't have survived for more than a few minutes in the freezing water. It was highly possible they would recover his body in the spring thaw, but no one mentioned that to Andy, Glenna, or their mother. Such occurrences were infrequent, but all too unpleasant. Glenna hoped that Jack Frost had taken Rick off to visit the Snow Queen, or Mother Nature, or even Santa Claus. Such stories made her envious, and she considered jumping into the freezing water of Merrill's Pond on purpose, but that seemed rude, like walking into someone's house when you hadn't been invited. She also thought of putting a candle where Rick had gone through the ice, but her parents wouldn't let her go to the pond unless an adult was watching her. Besides, she had to believe Jack would bring him home. As the years went by, memories of her brother grew cloudy, and she forgot all about Jack Frost. At 13, Glenna was worried about boys and fashion and music. She was just beginning to think about whom she was becoming and how she might want to spend her adulthood. She had a brief period of regret when she packed up her dolls, books of fairy tales, and play tea sets and gave them to the Salvation Army. But sooner posters of fairies and unicorns had been replaced by teen idols and television vampires. Her birthday fell on November 1st, and Glenna realized that this Halloween might be her last for trick-or-treating. Andy used to go with her, but he was in high school now and preferred boy-girl parties to the quest for candy and treats. But she was able to convince her parents she was old enough to go out and about with her girlfriend Katie and then attend a party up the street at Janice Patterson's house. Katie went as a witch and Glenna was Buffy the Vampire Slayer, a show she had discovered on Hulu the the previous summer. She was hoping to see Henry Sloan at the party, and being Buffy meant she could wear a pretty party outfit and not wear any gross monster makeup. Although she had to admit, Katie looked pretty to her with her velvet cat ears and cat nose and whiskers done in eyebrow pencil. By 7 o'clock, it was already dark, and she and Katie set out on a wide circuit that would bring them to Janice's by 8. Katie was worried what others might think of them trick-or-treating, but Glenna had that worked out. They would share their loot with the other party guests. Others might think it was silly to go out bag in hand, but who would turn down miniature chocolate bars and popcorn balls? The two girls strolled, not wanting to appear over-anxious, although the mood of shrieking and running children was infectious. Instead, they commented on how mature they had become and how they would soon be in high school and then their real adult adventures would start. Glenna breathed in the crisp air, delighting in the tangy smell of wood smoke and the scorched vegetable smell of jack-o'-lanterns which flickered on nearby nearly every doorstep. Some favored spring and summer, but she always loved winter. Maybe it had to do with her being born in November. All she knew was that she reveled in the long, cold nights and the short, crisp days. She and Katie got separated at the McClintock house. It was a tall and dark Victorian affair, the kind of house all children and some adults believe is haunted. Katie refused to go to the door, even though the porch had several merry jack-o'-lanterns 
and a jolly paper skeleton out front. Glenna had read to Mrs. McClintock for one of her Girl Scout badges and knew there was nothing in the house but old furniture, lots of old books, and several old cats. None of her prodding would get Katie to go with her, and Katie said she would meet her next door at the Bursons, whose house was modern and sterile and not at all haunted-looking. Glenna watched as Katie moved briskly down the walk, and another group of little ghosts and monsters studiously avoided the big house. It made her feel sorry for Mrs. McClintock, who was a widow and couldn't help it if her house looked scary, even in daylight. Mrs. McClintock was delighted to see her. The old woman had made two dozen gingerbread men and another dozen ginger and spice cupcakes. They smelled of Halloween and Christmas, of fires on the hearth and frost on the window panes. No one had come to see her, not one. When she learned that Glenna was going to a party, she wrapped everything up in a box for her to take. Glenna protested, but old Mrs. McClintock wouldn't hear otherwise. Glenna had always been kind to her, and she said she wanted to return the favor. Glenna left the box of cookies and cupcakes in a stout grocery bag in one of her hands and a pillowcase of candy in the other. She had to stick her Buffy steak in her back pocket, being careful not to stick herself, and bade Mrs. McClintock goodbye. As she stepped out onto the porch, her eyes detected a faint movement off to her right, where the wraparound porch disappeared into the darkness. Hello, came a voice. It was a kind-sounding voice, but Glenna knew better than to approach a stranger in the dark. Feeling self-conscious, she moved purposefully to the stairs. As she reached the top one, he stepped into the light of the pumpkins and a yellowish porch light. He was dressed like someone out of a Dickens novel, like the artful, artful Dodger, with top hat and muffler, and he wore velvet gloves. For a moment, she thought the muffler was red and gold, but it was a solid gray color. His skin, though, was a pale robin's egg color, and his ears were subtly pointed. You're the boy from the pond, she whispered, and he bowed low. I'm Jack Frost, she finished, even though she knew she was being rude. His eyes twinkled and his lips curved up into a smile. Glenna thought he was the most handsome boy she had ever seen. Jack Frost, he repeated, as if tasting the words and deciding they were like sweet and buttery frosting. Yes, he said, I like that. You took my brother away, Glenna said, memory and accusation crowding into her statement. He looked down, a little crestfallen. I didn't know he was your brother, he said, and she could see he felt guilty about it. So, bring him back. That's really not possible, he said. Too much time has gone by. Glenna figured he meant that her brother was now acclimated to the fairy world, and he would find the human world unbearable to live in. Will you take me to see him? He looked at her, and his eyes shimmered as if each one held a tiny aurora borealis. I want to, he said, but you could never come back. Are you ready to leave all of this behind? She thought about it and decided she wasn't, not really. There were some things in the world she really did love, and some things she wanted to try. Not yet, but you could come back for me. He shook his head. This is the one night of the year where it's cold enough for me to leave the pond, and not cause suspicion with my appearance. I won't tell anyone. He smiled, and she noticed his teeth looked very long, and she thought of Red Riding Hood and felt a tiny spider of panic creep down her spine. He saw it, too, and became sad. You're not ready, Glenna. Someday, maybe, but not today. Then she heard Katie call to her, and she turned to look. Coming, she said, but when she looked back to where he had been, he was gone. 
She called to him softly, not wanting to bother Mrs. McClintock, but he was gone. It was only when she was at Janice's party and dancing with Sean Purcell that she realized he knew her name. She never told anyone of the encounter on the McClintock porch, even when they found the old woman dead the next day, apparently of hypothermia. As the old woman's furnace had been on and was in good order, authorities were baffled, particularly by the patches of frostbite on her hands and shoulders and the puncture wounds in her neck. They did interview Glenna, and she told them everything, save her conversation with Jack Frost. She knew from books and television that people never believed such things unless they saw them with their own eyes, and sometimes not even then. Five years came and went quickly, and her memory of Jack faded in the rush of middle school and high school, dating and football games, term papers and SAT scores. Glenna acquitted herself admirably in school and won a scholarship to Boston University, where she planned to study literature and writing. Her first quarter went well enough, and she drove down to Grenville for Christmas, her little car loaded with gifts and laundry. On the way to Grenville, she saw the turnoff from Merrill's Pond and and took it on a whim. She hadn't really ever said goodbye to her brother Rick, had she? At least she could do was wish him a Merry Christmas. Truth to tell, she didn't remember him all that well. Family photos helped, but she'd always been closer to Andy since there were only three years separating them, not five like with Rick. The pond was deserted, it was getting near sundown, and everyone was home preparing for the big day. The pond was preternaturally silent, the only sound the crunching of her boots through the snow and her breath that steamed out before her in little white puffs. The air was so cold it actually hurt a little to breathe it in, but she did, relishing that feeling, that connection to winter. She looked over the white expanse of the pond with its familiar demarcation of yellow tape. She knew local parents used Rick's death as a cautionary tale, and that few, if any, ever crossed that barrier. She wished she could walk to where they lost him, but the way around the pond was impassable in the winter, and she hadn't brought any skates. Besides, skating at night on Merrill's Pond was something not even her brothers had tried. Hello again. She knew before turning who it was, and her heart leapt a little bit, as if her soulmate had called to her. Glenna turned, and there was Jack, now dressed in slacks, a turtleneck, and sports coat, something people might have worn in her father's youth. He saw her and smiled awkwardly. I never seem to know what is appropriate attire up here. You look nice, she said, but he was more than that. He was handsome in a way that went beyond human, as if a force of nature or a breathtaking vista were somehow made flesh. Have you been waiting long, she asked, sensing she knew the answer. That, that isn't an easy question to answer, he admitted. Since I first saw you a very short time for me, a long time for you. Since I realized I wasn't happy being alone, oh, more years than you might care to count, an awful, lonely wait. She realized then that she was going to go with him, the part of her had always known so, that her life above had merely been making, marking time and waiting. She knew they would find her car and think the worst. She thought of leaving them a note, but they would not believe it if she told them the truth. They would think she was mad or had been coerced. Where she was going, what she would be, these were mysteries for her and her sweetheart alone. Somehow she had known that always as well. They would search and put up flyers and make impassioned pleas on the news, and they would wait with dread when the thaw came, 
but she wouldn't be found. She was so happy, so excited, but the thought of what her parents and brother would endure brought tears to her eyes. Then she knew what she must do, and she, he waited while she wrote a note and pinned it to the steering wheel of her car. It read, Dear Mom, Dad, and Andy, please don't be sad. I am happy, and I am safe. I love you, Glenna. She looked into his strange and wonderful eyes, and he smiled as snowflakes tumbled and danced around them. Will it hurt, she asked. Jack Frost shook his head, then took her in his arms. He fed on her warmth until she was as cold and immobile like marble, then gave her some of his own warmth in return. She awoke as something like Glenna and something not, and looked into the face of winter, of the man who ushered in the cold sleep of the world to help make way for spring. She looked off in the direction of her house and silently said goodbye to her family. Perhaps one day she might see them again, watching us through a window under the ice of the pond. Then, as the church, church bells heralded Christmas Day, Glenna and Jack Frost slipped beneath the ice and sped away to all the wonderful places she would now call home. Oh, that's trippy. So, okay, is Jack, is Jack, I mean, heavy. is Jack Frost, did you kind of reinterpret him then as like basically a vampire? Like, yeah, basically. Oh, a kind of vampire. I love it. I love it. What, I should, what is Jack Frost? Like, what is, I don't even know what that character is in reality, like in like traditional lore. Is he something that's supernatural? Yes. I think the, the um, I mean, I think it's a metaphor, but I think also the actual elf is uh, somebody who travels around and, you know, um, kind of ushers in winter and makes snowflakes and, you know, puts hoarfrost on your window and things like that. He's uh, generally benign, although I think... I think there was a Santa Claus movie where Martin Short played a version of Jack Frost who was malevolent. He did. I do, and, yeah. Uh, I, I didn't want to go that direction. I just wanted him to be otherworldly and, um, you know, a vampire. And then a girl who loves vampire lore ends up meeting him and they fall in love. I love the idea, too, of that that supernatural creature that can only come out on Halloween night because no one's going to look at him weird. They're just going to be like, right. yeah, you look, yeah, okay, yeah, you're just in a costume. Uh, okay, cool. Exactly. But, yeah, oh, that's a great story. That's an awesome story. I Thank you. It. So this one I wrote for you guys. Um, it'll. I'm planning on doing a second book at some point, and this will be in that. And it's called Christmas Spirit. Charlie Tucker pushed his shopping cart through the aisles of the dollar or less store. The whole place was redolent with the smell of pine cones dipped in cinnamon powder. Charlie loved Christmas, but he could have done without that cloying smell. He made his way to the toy aisle, a little sad even though Christmas was the next day. In the bottom of his cart were two cases of ramen noodles and three bottles of hot sauce, the staples of his current diet. On top of these, he placed cheap dolls in plastic bags, off-brand action figures, puzzles, games, and other items. Then he ambled over to the wrapping paper aisle and trying to find cheery holiday paper and scotch tape. He considered buying ribbon, but it just wasn't in his budget. 
Earlier, he had been outside Chatham's department store. Their big windows were filled with animated displays, and he and several children watched with awe as elves capered and Santa waved amid a dizzying collection of high-end toys and dolls. For a moment, he had fantasized about coming back later that night and throwing a brick through the window, then hurriedly grabbing as much of those childhood treasures as would fit in his pickup. But Santa doesn't steal. Oh, Charlie wasn't crazy. He knew he wasn't Santa Claus. A look in the mirror would dispel that notion. Charlie was six foot and lean, clean-shaven, and with a head of dark hair that always looked uncombed, no matter how much he tried to manage it. In addition, his cheeks weren't rosy, and any large belly he might display was from a pillow or two stuffed under his shirt. No, he wasn't Santa Claus, not even close. But he liked to play Santa for the kids in his old neighborhood. In the past years, that had been pretty easy. He'd had a good job as a mechanic at Wilson's Garage, and he was well paid for his talents. There wasn't a car, truck, or motorcycle he couldn't fix. Charlie, unmarried with no children, would often spend his Christmas bonus and a bit more to make sure every child on his old street got a special gift from Santa. But the economy had taken a dive, and Mr. Wilson had sold the shop and retired to the Florida Keys. Wilson's garage and several neighboring businesses had been raised to put up a Walmart. Charlie continued to look for work, but for now he lived on unemployment and his savings. Still, he was determined all the kids he knew would have something from Santa. It wouldn't be as pricey or grand as previous years, but he didn't want them to think Santa had forgotten them. Unable to afford the rent on his house in North Heights, he had moved back to Cutter Street, and lived in a modest studio apartment. It was okay. He lived alone except for his cat Foster, an orange and white tabby with an appetite for cat treats, mice, birds, and the occasional spider. The neighborhood had gotten dodgier since he had moved away, but Charlie was a big man, and no one messed with him. He was generally well-liked, and the parents who lived on the block knew that Santa, the Santa that paid their children a visit each Christmas was the friendly and kind auto mechanic who had grown up on Cutter Street. Charlie did a quick calculation in his head and then added three boxes of candy canes to his cart. He rolled up to the register and began putting items on the conveyor belt. The clerk smiled. Playing Santa Claus? Charlie smiled back. Kinda, he said. The clerk added up his purchases. He was over his budget. He had forgotten about the sales tax. He looked at his purchases. What could he do without? Maybe one of the cases of ramen noodles? He would be getting his unemployment check in a few days. Of course, his rent would be due, and... Hey, the clerk said, I just remembered. With 20 items or more, the wrapping paper's free. Charlie knew he was lying. He looked at the man's name tag. I can't let you do that, Wayne. Hey, man, it's Christmas, right? Charlie smiled gratefully. I'll catch you next time. It's all good, Wayne said, smiling and bagged his purchases. Charlie went home and wrapped the presents. He had forgotten gift tags so he made them out of little squares of wrapping paper folded in half. Inside, he carefully wrote messages like, For Jenny, who has been a very good girl this year, and signed it Santa with a flourish. He placed all the gifts in a big burlap sack, putting the closest houses on his route on top. He wasn't going down any chimneys, of course, so he'd leave the gift by the front door. After several years of playing Santa, the kids knew to expect him and often left cookies and milk or sometimes coffee in a thermos. For him. 
He fed Foster and tried to eat himself, but he was just too excited. At 11 p.m., he put on his Santa suit, a nice one he had bought when he was still flush. The wig and beard were also top-notch, and he looked quite authentic when he was all dressed up. It was a nice, crisp evening. Snow in this part of California was a rarity, and he was glad it wasn't raining. He could smell smoke from several chimneys and pictured cozy homes with a beautiful tree and stockings hung on the mantel. Charlie set out to walk the three-plus blocks of Cutter Street, feeling excited and happy. Things went well at first. His first stop was an apartment complex that had seen better days. There was a metal gate securing the place, watched over by a burly security guard. He smiled when he saw Charlie. Merry Christmas, Santa. Merry Christmas to you, Harold. Harold opened the gate and let him in. Looks like you got quite a haul. Charlie smiled, embarrassed. Not nice as years passed. Harold stopped him with a gesture. It's the thought, Charlie. You bring magic with you, and everyone appreciates that. Charlie's eyes teared up a bit, and Harold patted his shoulder. Charlie went around the complex, leaving presents for each child. He waved to Harold and went up Cutter Street. Here there were single-family homes, most with heavy wrought iron doors or steel screen doors in front, and often bars on the window. These had never been needed when he was growing up on Cutter Street, and it made him sad that his old neighborhood had fallen on hard times. The Fuentes house was first, and Charlie had three gifts to leave, a doll for Teresa, a stuffed unicorn for Abby, and a couple of action figures for Miguel. As he was pulling the last gift from his sack, a voice behind him said, Ho, ho, big man. Charlie turned to see two young men in their 20s. They smiled, but their eyes had a predatory look. The one who had spoken wore a Dodgers baseball cap. He gestured and said, We'll take the sack, Santa. It's gifts for the kids, said Charlie. Please, you don't want to do this. Hell, I don't, the young man in the cap said, and pulled a gun from his waistband, as did his friend. The gun looked impossibly large, like it might swallow Charlie up. Throw your wallet and watch in there, too, the young man said, gesturing again at the sack, this time with his gun. Charlie sighed and started to pull his wallet out of his pocket. The young men watched him warily. Then the wrought iron door behind burst open, making a loud clang. Santa! Miguel cried in alarm. He was racing down the steps, and the young man in the cap was already pointing and firing. Without hesitation, Charlie stepped in front of the gun, everything else lost as his world was filled with the explosion of the gun and a searing pain in his chest. He fell to the pavement, and darkness came down like a heavy curtain. It seemed the gun had swallowed him, after all. Charlie woke up in bed. He rubbed his eyes, marveling at the detail of the nightmare that had awakened him. Foster protested as he shifted. He sensed a flickering light and looked toward its source. This wasn't his room. It was like the inside of a cozy log cabin with a cheery fire in the hearth. He sat up and stroked Foster, trying to figure out what the hell was going on. The door opened and a large man with a white beard and ruddy cheeks entered. He wasn't wearing the traditional fur-trimmed suit, but a cream-colored sweater and khaki pants. Still, there was no mistaking Santa Claus. Charlie, he proclaimed, good to see you up and about. Charlie's tried to speak, but no words would come. Surely this was a dream within a dream. Oh, you're not dreaming, Charlie, Santa said. The gunshot. Charlie remembered and felt his chest. He was okay. 
Santa shook his head sadly. I'm, I'm afraid you didn't make it, Charlie. Charlie patted himself, then petted Foster again. But I'm alive, Santa shook his head again. I'm afraid not, my friend. It took time for Charlie to accept that he was no longer among the living, almost three weeks. In that time, all the residents of that wondrous place left him alone. Santa's home and workshop were even more magical than he had ever imagined, and Mrs. Claus and the tiny elves who worked there were always kind to him. One day he woke up, petted Foster, and said, I hope you don't mind being owned by a ghost, Foster. Foster meowed that it was okay by him as long as he got plenty of petting and treats. There was a soft knock at the door, and Santa entered, bearing two mugs of hot cocoa. He gave one to Charlie and sat down in one of the big chairs by the fire. Charlie sat in the other. He was past thinking it was crazy that he was drinking hot chocolate and talking to the actual Santa Claus. It was a very brave thing you did on Christmas Eve, Charlie. You saved Miguel's life. That's one of the reasons I brought you here. Charlie looked at him. You have true Christmas spirit, Charles Tucker. You give to others while going without, and you're willing to sacrifice for the children you love. Santa, you're not asking me to take your place, are you? Santa laughed, a booming, jolly sound. <laughs> no, not quite, but I have been looking for another helper, someone like you. Now Charlie was confused. Santa went on. There are a lot of children I miss on my rounds, Charlie. That's because they're, they're like you. Ghost, Charlie said. Santa nodded. Thousands of them in every country and many would dearly love a visit from Santa. But I look nothing like you, Santa, and I don't have a sleigh or reindeer. Or... You're a ghost, Charlie. You can look any way you want. As for reindeer and a sleigh, come with me. He took Charlie outside. There was an Arctic wind blowing, but Charlie felt no discomfort whatsoever. Santa took him into a large barn. A large barn. There was a sleigh much like the ones in the picture books, but it shimmered as if it were a ghost sleigh. Santa gave a quick whistle, and nine reindeer appeared. One was smaller than the others and stepped in front. This is Sapphire, Santa said, and her nose glowed a brilliant blue. She's Rudolph's daughter. Santa pointed to the others in succession. Starfire, Mercury, Hudra, Tonnerre, Moondancer, Clementine, Aurora, and Flit. I, I thought your reindeer were immortal. Oh, they are, but these nine have been magicked especially for your team. Santa grinned and said, Stealth. All of the reindeer shimmered and became ghostly as if they were made of moonbeams and starlight. Would you like to be one of my helpers, Charlie? Charlie grinned. Charlie worked very hard for the rest of the year. By the time Christmas Eve rolled around, he was ready. His first call was to a crumbling manor house in Yorkshire, where a little girl named Prudence happily accepted a new doll and cooed as she petted, petted Foster. Turned out that Foster was not at all afraid of ghosts. Charlie traveled to every country in the world, to old homes and some new ones, mansions, shops, meadows, forests, and even cemeteries. Some of the places were shadowy and sad, but he always left them brighter than he found them, and the musical laughter of the children as he and his team rose in the sky were a balm to his soul. To this day, Charles Tucker still visits Cutter Street. Although the children there never see him, 
They remember him when a special gift from Santa is found under their tree. The ghost children all over the world know Charlie Tucker and wait anxiously for presents and cheer he brings in each Christmas. And to them, he is Santa Claus. Oh, I love that. I love the concept of ghost children getting presents from their ghost Santa. And the ghost Santa earned it. Oh, I, I could see this being like a Pixar movie. Like, with just animated, because I can, I can just kind of see all the ghost children, how they would look, how the, the glowing blue nose of Sapphire would look uh, with that cool yeah, Pixar yeah. animation. Yeah. Like, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Excellent but news. I've actually thought of expanding this. Uh, into something like that. Uh, yeah. Because I, I really s- like the concept, too. I do, too. I do, too. And that's. I think the last time you were on, um, it was a story. It was with the superheroes. Um, and I was like, this This is a movie. This is a movie. This is a movie <laughs> like, get on that, Mark. Get on that. There, there's and, a- <laughs> and this is, this is too. You know, the, but there's a darkness to that, that story, too, obviously. Well, it, yeah. It's a, it's a I, dark spot. Um, how he... And I actually got yeah. angry as, as I was listening to that, listening to you tell that story, because, you know, you could feel that impending doom coming, I think. I, how I yeah. felt, at least. You could feel that impending doom. And it wasn't going to end well. Um, and it's a very real thing. We know that that happens every day. So it, it, it hits you right. in the gut. And it actually, I actually got angry a bit. Like, dude, leave the guy alone. He's, he's doing the right thing here. Jerk off. Right. <laughs> you know, but you, you, you can't have a ghost story without a death in there no. somewhere, though. Yep. Yeah, you're 100% you know? right. That's what, makes, I mean, that's what makes the story move. And I've always thought, this, this answers it for me, Mark. Santa What's can't that? visit everybody. No. He can't visit everything. He's got to have some people on staff. You know, I mean, and this, this kind of makes that, I think that all kind of makes it all come to, come to circle for me, at least, is... Yeah, maybe Santa doesn't have, you know, he doesn't have to do all that work himself. He, he Maybe he has some help. Yeah, I, for I, the afterlife crew. For, yeah, well, you know, <laughs> yeah, right? Uh-huh. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm a little bit silent. I'm a little shaken, to be honest with you. That story kind of really got me in the gut because it's a real thing. It happens. People do, a lot, of good people, a lot of good people who do good things have really shitty things that happen to them. Or they die. And they don't deserve that, right? And, um... I think it's a it's a, I love that story because yeah, in the end it was you know you know we've heard the idea of you know bad things happen for a reason and that's what gets me through my days a lot is bad things happen for a reason and in this this story this situation um, bad a bad thing did happen for a reason um, and a good thing came out of that right um, yeah and so, I love it great it's awesome yeah yeah. Awesome. Well, it's thank like you. Our, our, I really I, appreciate it. I'm going to go fetal now under the I, desk I and always, just, just kind of sob for a while. I look because... forward to Mark coming on the show because <laughs> yeah. I know we've said, like, yeah. Mark's our, our ghostly talk official storyteller. Yeah, man. Um, and uh, well, and, and it's really an honor because you've, you've done this. This isn't the first time where you've oh. come you've come to visit us bearing gifts, for lack of a better term. Right. T- no pun intended. <laughs> but yeah, you, you've written stuff. No, thank stu- you. you. You've written stuff for us. And, um, and, well, I enjoy talking to both of you. You know, this, this is always a high point for me. So, yeah, man. You um, know, um, I like having something new to present. And, uh, you know, I, I was a little worried because, um, 
you know, not every story in my book is is specifically a ghost story. Right. But then I was reading a collection of M.R. James, and there's a lot of his stories where they're not ghosts. They're just um, otherworldly creatures yeah. or something strange and inexplicable, but they're not ghosts per se. Yeah. So I thought, well, if M.R. James can do it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who oh, might totally. argue? Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, just a beautiful story. Uh, yeah, I, I thank you. I, I really want to earmark it there. I think because um, I can't thank you enough, Mark, for for again. I mean, for taking the time to do something like that for us. Um, it really does mean a lot. I, I can't really say anything well, else. Thank you. It's, it's it's just I, I can. Well, you them. you two are like friends, you know, and uh, I just wish you a really merry Christmas and uh, a much better year ahead. Yes. Yeah. You too, Mark. Yes. Likewise. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Here's to Thank a better you. 2021. Ghostly Talk! <laughs>